we join with millions of other Christians around the world to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was a man who died for three days and then rose to life again. He defeated sin and death. He set us free from both those things and he made us brand new. And it's an audacious story, isn't it? Have you ever found yourself wondering, is this a true story? Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to rise again? What really happened that day, and why does it matter? Well, this past summer, I had the incredible opportunity to go to Jerusalem to visit the Holy Land, and as part of our tour, we went to Golgotha, which is the hill where Jesus was crucified, and that hill is named after the skull that appears in the side of the landscape, and there we learned about the brutal death that Jesus endured for our sake. And it was incredibly sobering. We also had the opportunity to go to the tomb. And this was an incredible experience. We got to see the outside and then we got to go inside the tomb. And while you go into the tomb, they ask you to not speak because it's a sacred place. And as I'm in this tomb and I'm looking at where they believe that Jesus' body was lie, laid, my, my heart was just filled with so much emotion. And as I exited out of the tomb, I could not help it. These are the words that burst from my mouth. Oh, death, where is your sting? Our resurrected king has rendered you defeated. It was such a powerful moment, a moment I'm actually never going to forget my entire life. But the truth is that over the last decade, Easter has really taken on a deeper meaning for me. You know, like many people, I've struggled throughout my life just feeling bad, feeling guilty, feeling unworthy, feeling condemned. I would try to be good. I wanted to be good, but I'd find myself failing all the time. You know, as a mom, losing my patience and yelling, as a wife, losing my patience and yelling, you get the picture. As much as I tried to be good, I always kind of felt bad, and I had this reel in my head always reminding me of, of the mistakes that I was making. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit, in his gentleness and his goodness, has been taking me and our church on this incredible journey where we've been understanding the power of Easter in such a beautiful and sweet way. Because you see, what Jesus did in that garden is he turned it all around for good like only he could. You see, what Jesus did was he made us good for good. And that's what we're actually going to explore together today as we look at the Easter story and see just how good it actually is. I'm gonna pray and invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And so we say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you today on Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate all that you have done for us and as us. Give us ears to hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in order to understand the Easter story, we actually have to go back to the beginning of the story. We have to go back to Genesis, and we have to understand what was happening. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. God created the land, and he created oceans, and he created this beautiful garden named Eden, which means paradise. And inside Eden, he put plants and animals of all kind, and it was good. And then, Ad, then God created Adam and Eve, and God said it was very good. You see, God's plan for humanity is good. We were designed to live in relationship with him, in intimacy with him. We were designed in his image and his likeness. 
That means that we actually have the ability to reflect God to the world around us. And then we were designed to rule and to reign over all of creation. Truly an incredible plan that God had. God created the world and everything in it, and it was good. Now, unfortunately, things turned bad because of a choice that Adam and Eve made. You see, Satan, who is God's adversary, he disguised himself as a serpent, and he deceived Eve. And then Adam and Eve decided to disobey God, and they ate from a tree that God had instructed them not to eat from. And this is when sin enters the story of humanity. Now, what is sin? Sin is when we miss the mark. Sin is when we choose to do what God has asked us not to do, when we disobey God. And sin, it breaks us, it distorts us, and it disfigures us. And in this moment, when Adam and Eve sin, sin changes the story. What God had meant for good, the enemy turned for bad. Now, right there in Genesis, after all of this happens, God does give a prophetic promise. He says that one day there will be a woman who gives birth to a redeemer, and the serpent will bruise his heel but that redeemer will crush the head of the serpent and turn it around for good, like only he could. This is the story and the victory that we are going to celebrate today. But in order to have a full grasp of really what happened at Easter, we have to understand how bad it actually got. And that's what I want us to focus on today. What happened to our identity in the Garden of Eden? A lot happened, actually. A lot more than I can even unpack today in our time together, and so that's why I wanna focus in on our identity. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5 about Adam and Eve's actions. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. Hmm? Through Adam's disobedience, all humanity became sinners. Everyone became a sinner. You know, this feels a little unfair, doesn't it? the first group project in history, and we're all stuck with the same grade. What's happening here? Are we getting blamed for Adam's failures? Is his bad record being passed on to us? No. Rather, his broken template is being passed on to us. You see, the word sinner here in Romans 5, it is not talking about actions. It is an identity term. It's not talking about something that you did. It's talking about something that you are. And this difference is very important for us to understand. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned by eating that fruit, their likeness of God was traded in profound ways. They committed a sin, and that was on the outside of them, but it went inside of them. God had told them not to eat that fruit. I want you to imagine for a moment just a beautiful, juicy piece of fruit, okay? And it's in your hand, and you're going to take a bite. And what happens when you eat that fruit? Well, you goes into your mouth, and then it goes down into your stomach, and then you begin to digest it, and then you begin to take on its nutrients, so on and so forth. And that fruit actually becomes part of you. And this is what happened with the sin when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They took it internally, they digested it, and it became part of them. You see, as humans, what's inside of us comes out of us. And we've been built this way by God so that we could actually image him to the world around us. We are actually designed to show the world who Jesus is. But now, in Adam and Eve, sin has taken up residency. And because of this, we no longer accurately image God 
we image sin. The template has been broken. Now, I want to be really clear that every single person is still made in the image of God. It's just that sin has messed us up from the inside out. It has broken and marred our ability to accurately reflect God. And so what this means is actually when we interact with the world around us, we shouldn't judge them. We shouldn't condemn them when they don't look like God. They have been made in his image, but they don't know that they're broken. We shouldn't judge those people. Rather, we should see it as a chance to bring God's hope to the brokenness around us. Each of us is in need of a transformation. Each of us is in need of a savior. Because of what happened in Eden, we actually have a twofold problem. We have become sinners who do sinful things. We have an identity problem. Our identity, our ability to image God correctly has been marred. And we have a doing problem. We are now doing sinful things. And honestly, this is a place in the Easter story where many people kind of check out. They, they get kind of confused. Maybe you've felt this, or maybe you've talked to people who felt this, and they've said, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I try to be good. I do good deeds. I'm not that bad. Why would I need forgiveness? I think many of us have actually wrestled with that, and I think that's actually a really good question to ask, and here's what often we're thinking about in those cases. We're thinking about sin as an action problem, but what Eden is actually about is twofold. We have a being problem. The insides of us have actually been changed and that needs to be healed. Sin is not just outward actions and bad behaviors. It's actually moved inside of us. You know, Jesus was talking to his disciples in Mark 7. He was trying to help them understand this. And this is, his, this is what he says about how sin dwells within us. This is Mark 7, verse 21. For from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within and they are what defile you. Did you hear the language there? From within, these things come out of us and they mess us up badly. Let's be honest, this verse is bold, it's uncomfortable. It confronts us. Bad stuff comes out of us even when we try to be good. We have become sinners who do sinful things. Now, I think an illustration can be helpful here to help us understand this. You know, Illinois, we're known for fertile farmland, right? Corn, soybeans, lots of people like to garden here. Um, not me. I don't have a gift for gardening. But I do have one thing that grows in my yard every single year without fail. Dandelions. Now, one of my boys, when he was a little, called them dandetigers, and I can never get that out of my head when I think about dandelions. But yes, dandelions. In fact, um, my children lovingly refer to this corner of my yard as my weed garden because it just loves to grow the spiky kind of dandelions. You know which ones I'm talking about? And they're bad, right? They're terrible. And I look out my window, and I'm so mad. And so what do I do? Well, I go to my garage, and I get my weed whacker. Now, don't worry. I'm a lawn care professional. My brothers and I had a lawn business for over 10 years. I know exactly what I'm doing. And I go out and I chop those weeds down. And I feel so much better for a few days. Because then I look out my window and they're back. And you say, this is what we do, right? We see a, a dandelion and we go out and we chop it off. But what do we actually need to do to get rid of the dandelion? We need to dig into the dirt and we need to pull up the root because if we pull up the root, the dandelion flower and the leaves are gonna die too. And so when we think about the problem that we have in the Garden of Eden, we should consider this picture. 
You see, the root of the dandelion is that sinner identity that lives within us. And what happens is sin lives and grows up within us and sprouts leaves and flowers. And those are the things that we usually think of as sin, right? Like greed and anger and lust. These sinful actions stem from a sinful source. So what do we do? Well, we often just try to deal with the outward sin. We take that weed whacker out and we try to whack the weeds down in our life. And then we end up in this cycle where we're trapped managing sin, where we feel bad, we want things to be different, but we're just in a cycle, a never-ending cycle. And this trips people up. This actually keeps people from the gospel. Why? Sin is seductive. Sin is fun. Sin in the moment often feels satisfying, but it usually leaves us filled with shame. And so when people think about Easter, when they think about Jesus, and they consider this, and they don't have a full understanding of what Jesus did, they're like, no thanks. I don't need more guilt in my life. I already feel bad enough for the stuff I'm doing. I don't want another thing to make me feel bad, and I definitely don't want to constantly manage my behavior. It feels condemning rather than freeing. You see, sin management, it's a dead end. We saw this in the Old Testament. You know, there was a system for forgiveness of sins. The Israelites, every year, they had to make sacrifices year after year after year. And there was forgiveness of sins, but there was not freedom from. They knew they were enslaved to sin. It was like they were chopping off the head of the dandelion, but the root remained. For many of us, we have understood the gospel story that we do need forgiveness for sins. But many of us have missed the point, the bigger picture, that we have an identity problem. That in Eden, sin entered humanity and fundamentally changed humans. We have become sinners who do sinful things, and this problem is twisting us away from God. Things are bad. But there's good news. Because Jesus has a plan to turn it all around for good. So I'm going to go back to Romans 5, and I want to read a little bit fuller context here. And what Paul's going to do here is he's going to compare and contrast Adam and Jesus. I'm going to pick up in verse 16. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. This is such a powerful passage. I want to encourage you this week, go back and read this. This is Romans 5, 16 to 19. Incredibly, incredibly deep theological truths here. It's, it's an interesting comparison. You know, Paul's saying, you know, in Adam, we have condemnation for everyone. Everyone has become a sinner. And we are guilty of many sins. In Adam, there is death. Did you notice all the sinner sins language throughout that? The master copy was altered in the garden and our template was broken. Now, the only way that God can fix this is to introduce a new template, a template that is good, and that person is Jesus. And Paul goes on to say, listen, in Jesus, we have freedom. There is no longer condemnation. There is grace. And what is grace? God's empowering to do what we cannot do on our own through the power of his Holy Spirit. He says that we have been made right, that we are going to have new life. 
And we've been made right not just for now, but for forever, in eternity. And then he says that we are righteous. Now, what does it mean to be righteous? I think this is a challenging word. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word righteous, for some reason, my brain goes to a California surfer who's like saying like, righteous dude, you know, about some wave or something. What does it mean to be righteous? Many of us have understood it as right standing with God, but I actually believe that's not a full enough definition. To be righteous means that we have been made right in our being. You see, what righteousness is, it is a gift that we are given from God to deal with the being problem that we had from the garden. We have been made new, and this is a gift. We don't work for it. We simply receive his righteousness. We've been made new. We've been made whole. And what righteousness does is it restores our ability to accurately image God. Jesus is the one who does this for us. Jesus makes us good for good, forever. This sounds amazing. (laughs) What an exchange. Like, how is all this going to work? Well, it's pretty drastic because he kills us. We like to say that this is not a cleanup. This is a crucifixion. Jesus kills us and raises us up back again, filled with him. This is what Romans 6, 6 through 8 says. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we also live with him. This is the message of the gospel. You have been killed so that you can be free. You died with Jesus and you are raised with Jesus so that sin might be brought to nothing. That root of sin in your life, it has actually been yanked up. So when we receive Jesus, we become free from sin and we are no longer sinners. In Jesus, we have both forgiveness of sins and we have freedom because we've been given a righteous identity. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, able to take away our sins and restore our identity. He didn't halfway deal with sin, he dealt with it. And he has now moved from death into life and that is the invitation for each of us today. Jesus turns it all around for good, for our good. Now. This doesn't mean that we're never going to be tempted to sin or that we're going to live perfectly. Just this week, I have plenty of examples that I could share with you where I missed the mark. I will just go ahead and tell you that I lost my patience again and yelled. The difference is this. I know I've been made right with God. I know that he has made me new. I know that I am learning to live in the reality of my new righteous identity. And so instead of feeling condemned, instead of feeling shame, I don't get back on that track. Instead, I say, Father, you've made me new. And I receive today the new gift that you've given me, that I am a patient mother, that I am a patient wife. And I allow the Holy Spirit to speak these truths to me. You see, we need the Holy Spirit's help to live out the incredible truth of the gospel story because without him, it is impossible. The truth is this, we have become saints. We are no longer sinners and we are learning to live in the reality of the fullness of what Jesus has done for us and as us. And so maybe like me, maybe you've spent a long time feeling bad and you need a fuller revelation today 
of just how good the Easter story is, how freeing the truth is. So however bad we've seen ourselves as a failure, as a reject, as a loser, all of that actually hung on the cross with Jesus. That is who you were. That is what sin did to you. But in Jesus, you have been forgiven. No matter how good you've seen yourself, as moral, as upstanding, as trying your best, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. The template was broken and each of us needs to be fixed by Jesus. And in Jesus, we have been made right. This is the message of Easter. Jesus has turned it all around for good, like only he could, the perfect sacrifice, able to take away the sins of the world, restoring to humanity all that was lost in Eden. His death and resurrection, it promises us a full life now and a full life forever. Our ability to reflect him has been restored, and the hopeful message I have for you today is your life is an advertisement of the future. Your life is an advertisement to the people all around you that Jesus is real, that he takes terrible things in our lives and he turns them around for good, for our good, for good. This is the story of Jesus. The truth, I believe, is that Jesus wants to encounter each and every one of us. He wants to show us who he is and how good he truly is because the truth is we're often confused about who he is. We think he's a tyrant or we think you know, he's angry with us or we're not even sure he cares. You know, perhaps you've tried to clean up your life, but you're frustrated, whacking those dandelions down. Without Jesus, there is no good. Perhaps you've thought of yourself as good and you're not really sure why you need forgiveness, but without Jesus, there is no good. Perhaps you are stuck and your life is a mess and you want things to change. Without Jesus, there is no good. You see, when we encounter him, he changes us. He makes himself known to us. He does this beautiful exchange where I am no longer a sinner, I'm a saint. And I'm invited into this beautiful journey where I learn to live as his righteous daughter. This is what he wants for every single one of us. Jesus has made you good for good. Today, I wanna share the story of Kinley with you. It's a beautiful story with some mature themes. And Jesus is the star of this story. He took what was bad and he turned it around for good. And he wants to do the same for you. Hi, I'm Kinley and this is my story. My parents split when I was one. My mom raised me in religion, and as a child, I believed that God was a tyrant, ready to send me to hell for any act of disobedience. And Jesus would save me if I prayed and obeyed. My dad and my madre, my stepmom, they were the complete opposite. They taught me to put my faith in science and not confine myself to one belief system. My parents had completely different visions of who I should be. And this left me deeply confused about faith and life. At 16, I wanted no part of God, and I slowly fell away from the church. By the time I was 18, I was a passionate, self-proclaimed atheist on my college campus. I was also suffering from depression and on several medications. By my third year in college, I was heavy into the party lifestyle, and so was my boyfriend at the time. My irresponsibility led to an unplanned pregnancy. 
and I explored my options and decided to have an abortion. This was much more gruesome and a painful process than I expected, and I found myself grieving over the decision that I had made. As I began to emotionally recover, I thought that if God by chance existed, He definitely hated me. I prioritized school and I studied, but when I took a break for the weekend, I went all out. I would pretty much do anything for temporary gratification. A dopamine hit, even if it was just short-lived and resulted in shame. At that time, I was in a polyamorous relationship with my then boyfriend. We lived together and we dated other women. I thought that I had everything that I wanted. I was in med school, passing grades, my family dynamic at home was healing, and I thought I was in a relationship that would last. But in my moments alone, I had no idea who I was or what I wanted outside of my career. I was so lost and depressed. My mind just constantly raced with things that I wished that I could take back, things that I wished that I didn't do, and I felt disgusting and worthless. My world fell apart when my then boyfriend and I broke up. It devastated me. I was smoking a cigarette and contemplating methods by which I could end my own life. When I heard a voice say, put down your cigarettes and in seven days, I'm gonna do something. I knew that this was not my voice. Was I going crazy or did God just speak to me? In my heart, I knew that if God showed up, I would give in and I would give him my life. But if he didn't show up, then I would be done searching for once and for all. On the seventh day at 11.24 p.m., I became enraged. I walked around my apartment yelling and cussing at God, saying stuff like, you probably aren't even real. If you're just gonna send me to hell, just send me already. And in that moment, I fell to my knees in complete and total desperation. When I opened my eyes, the darkness yielded, the colors in the room became brighter, and a presence that I had never felt before, a power, I can't explain it with words, entered the room. And I heard Jesus is God, and I knew He was there. I remember thinking, oh no, I'm in trouble. I'm sorry for cussing at you. I didn't think that you were real. <laughs> and I took a deep breath, and it was the deepest breath I've ever breathed. I felt a wind come over the inside and outside of my body, from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head. I was filled with complete, pure love and joy. The missing part of me had been filled, and that night I gave the Lord my life. Over the next few months, the Lord delivered me and changed the desires of my heart. It was a journey of unlearning and relearning who I was made to be. One of the areas where Jesus wanted to bring freedom into my life was the area of relationships because for so long I had gotten my identity in relationships and now I had that in Jesus. After six months of attending the vineyard, I went to a young adult lunch after church. That's the day that I met Ronnie. We became really good friends, doing small group together, bumping into each other at the gym and hanging out. As our friendship grew, we continued to have deep conversations. Ronnie's full acceptance of me knowing the painful details of my past, I know this was the man that I could spend the rest of my life with. 
The Lord showed me who He is. He is a good, good Father. He turned it all around for good. God took me unto Himself when I was broken, suicidal, and hopeless, and He healed me. He restored me into relationship with Him. He restored my identity. He restored my purpose, reminding me that I am now His righteous daughter.